0: chapter 6 of hellenic history this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by mike botes hellenic history by george willis botsford chapter 6 crete Lacedaemon, and the peloponnesian league 1 Crete. City-states and their federation. Of the hundred Cretan cities existing in the Middle Age, at least fifty survived to historical time or were replaced by newer foundations and are known by name. They joined in a league to resist invasion and established a federal court for the settlement of their disputes. Notwithstanding these institutions, the city-states often fought with one another. The most important were Knossos, Gortyn and Sidonia, which when combined were able to control the policy of the rest. Social classes Because of the relatively small number of Hellenic immigrants into Crete, Minoan institutions as well as Minoan art survived to historical time with less modification than elsewhere the lyctians says aristotle are a colony of the lacedaemonians and the colonists when they came to crete adopted the laws which they found existing among the inhabitants ephorus too holds the opinion that the institutions which were accustomed to describe as peculiarly dorian existed in the native cities of crete before the dorian immigration society in lictus and elsewhere was organized in stereotyped classes such as we expect to find in any old stagnant civilization most bought slaves were in the cities employed in domestic service higher in rank were the serfs some public others private these slaves, serfs, have some regularly recurring festivals in Sidonia, during which no freemen enter the city. But the slaves are masters of everything, and have the right even to flog the freemen. Their family and business rights were extensive, and they were carefully protected by law. Among the freemen were various social grades. Lowest were the periochi, dwellers around, the inhabitants of a city in subjection to another. We know little of their condition. The citizens of a free state were by birth either common or noble. All were alike warriors living in the city, and differentiated from the farming class by a law of Minos. The most important features of their life were their military education and their public tables, training of children and youths. The children were taught to read, to sing the traditional songs and to play the double pipe and lyre, two instruments inherited from a known time. At an early age they were taken to the public tables to wait on their fathers. Clad in mean garments, which are rarely changed, they ate their food together, sitting on the ground. The boys attached to each table were organized in a company under a master. The groups thus formed took rudimentary training for war and fought sham battles. When they reached the seventeenth year, they were organized in troops, each under the leadership of a noble youth whose father supervises training and enforced discipline. On certain appointed days Troop encounters Troop, marching in time to the sound of pipe and lyre, as is their custom in actual war. All the members who have reached the required age are compelled to marry. They do not bring their brides home forthwith but wait till the latter are able to attend to household matters. The dowry of a girl is equal to half of her brother's portion. Evidently the troop was the company which sat at one table. The messes of the older men were called simply clubs, evidently transformed from the troops of the youth. Public tables. The limited number of citizens in a state is proved by the fact that the tables were under a single roof. Each table was in charge of a woman, who, with the help of common laborers and slaves, prepared and served the food, given the choicest dishes to the citizens most distinguished for wisdom and prowess. An ancient authority informs us that, the people of Licti conduct their public tables as follows. Each brings in a tenth of his produce, as well as the public revenues, which the authorities of the state distribute among the several houses. Each slave, too, contributes monthly an eginet and stater as poll tax. This arrangement conduced to equality as state aid permitted the poorest citizens to eat at the public tables military and religious aspects of the training the object of their peculiar mode of life was military that courage and not fear might predominate they accustomed themselves from childhood to the use of arms and to endure fatigue accordingly they disregarded heat and cold rugged and steep roads blows received in gymnastic exercises and in set battles they practised archery and the curates young men initiated into the mysteries of zeus the divine youth performed the pyrrhic war-dance in armour while they chanted a song to the lord of all that is wet and gleaming praying for full jars, fleecy flocks, fruitful fields, prosperous seaborne ships, and goodly law. Political Development The original kingship changed to an aristocracy, in which the chief magistrates were ten Cosme, keepers of order, who commanded in war, exercised judicial and general administrative functions and enforced discipline among the citizens. They were assisted and limited by a council and an assembly. At an early period the laws were reduced to writing. A considerable part of the Code of Gortin has been preserved in an inscription. Gradually the government grew more popular till, in the 3rd century, democracy became universal. 2. Lacedaemon Political unification of Laconia In Laconia, conditions were in some respects similar to those of Crete. Although probably a larger percentage of the Laconians were of northern descent, yet their civilization owed more to the Minoans than to the Indo-European race. Unlike Crete, Laconia contained one city-state, Sparta, which excelled all the rest in military power. Advantageously located near the center of the country, and probably commanding a wider area, and larger population than any other, well invigorated too with northern blood, this city brought all Laconia under her power. 8th century. Adjacent communities she absorbed, and reduced the others to subjection as periochi. The nearer result was increased wealth and temporarily a richer culture for the dominant state, but more enduringly the growth of the strongest military power in Hellas. Laconian culture of the 7th century earlier in the seventh century the commercial relations of sparta with the asiatic greeks bore cultural fruit on invitation the lesbian musician terpander came with his seven-string cretan lyre to sparta to allay a political disturbance the greeks were far more sensitive to music than we are and it is impossible for us to appreciate the moral effect A hortative verse sung to a strange and masterful melody. Shortly afterward, Thaletas of Gortyn, invited by the Spartans to visit their city, brought with him the choral song and dance. The word chorus applied originally to the dancing place, then to the group of performers, and finally to their song the Pyrrhic word dance he is said to have invented. However that may be, he introduced it into Sparta. In music the Spartan found a powerful instrument for training, and no state employed it with equal success. Later in the century we find Alkman active at Sparta. A hint from an extant fragment has led to the view that he was a Lydian from Sardis. At all events, he speaks the Doric tongue and identifies himself, heart and soul, with the natives. His poems open to us a view of Spartan life, which we find nowhere else, a life of contentment, of peace and love and pleasure. From the gods is vengeance, but he is happy, Who cheerily weaves the web of his days unweeping he invites to laconia the goddess aphrodite leaving her lovely cyprus and paphos encircled by waves he calls upon the muse of sweet voice daughter of zeus to begin the delightful melody adding charm to the song and inspiring the graceful dance of fair-gowned girls with their carven ivory necklets. These sentiments of his, and many more, no less gentle, were in keeping with the laconia of his age. We come to great Demeter's fane, we nine, all maidens, all in goodly raiment clad, in goodly raiment clad, with necklets bright, of carven ivory that shone like snow, first messenian war in a general way we have traced the history of laconia through the middle age to its acme of cultural development in the seventh century the conquest of this country by sparta was connected closely as effect and cause with the growth in that city of a ruling military class of landowners supported by agricultural serfs helots a social system derived from minoan life having nothing to do but drill and fight the military class naturally developed an ambitious policy of conquest toward the close of the eighth century they had waged a war of aggression upon messenia the population of this country at the time was achaean a blend of aborigines with early Greek-speaking immigrants, among whom doubtless Dorians had already settled. Whatever the pretext for the war may have been, the Spartan poet Tyrteus gives a real motive as a desire to plough and plant fertile messenia. The same poet who, living shortly after the time, is our only reliable authority for the event tells us that for nineteen years the fathers of our fathers warriors stout of heart fought unresting to possess her and in the twentieth the foemen forsaking their rich fields fled from the lofty heights of mount Ithome. many of the conquered were reduced to serfdom like asses worn with heavy loads, bitterly are they forced to bring their master, the half of all the soil produces, and whenever the baleful fate of death overtakes their lord, they and their wives must needs join in lamenting him. Second Messenian War, about 650 after this conquest we hear of other lacedaemonian wars with neighbors not all so fortunate there were two internal disturbances which detracted from the reputation of the state taking advantage of their weakness the messenians supported by argives arcadians and pisatans revolted in their first struggle With this powerful coalition, the Lacedaemonians were beaten and lost courage. It was the most critical period of their early history. Wealth, art, poetry, the refinements of life, had developed here as nowhere in the peninsula. In the pursuit of culture and comfort, the Spartans were fast losing their warlike character. It was under these untoward conditions that Tirteus came forward to inspire and guide. He was not merely a poet, but a statesman and a military leader, as was Solon shortly afterward at Athens. Through his generalship, the Laconians conquered Messenia. In battle songs, he roused his countrymen to fight and die if need be for the fatherland setting before them as an alternative to victory a life of wandering beggary a noble thing it is to die a valiant man falling in the front line of warriors in the battle for the fatherland most grievous of all fates is to leave one city and fertile fields and to wander begging with a dear mother and aged father and little children and wedded wife. After a long hard struggle, the Messenians who failed to escape from the country resumed the yoke of serfdom. CONQUEST AND THE LAND SYSTEM In her earlier conquests, Sparta had readily admitted the higher class to citizenship. On condition of removing to the governing city in this way all central laconia became the private property of the spartan citizens and when messenia was subdued the spartans distributed among themselves a broad district extending through the centre of that country to the western coast all the towns disappeared from this region as they had disappeared from central laconia the lot assigned the individual spartan was of such a size as to supply him with seventy medimi of barley and his wife of twelve and oil and wine in proportion the farms thus granted by the state were hereditary and inalienable other lands were freely bought and sold and in time it became permissible to give away or bequeath the hereditary lot. The result was that differences in wealth arose among the Spartans. As the citizens were forbidden to engage in trade of every kind, their only lawful source of income was agriculture and grazing. Having originally adopted iron as money. As had various other greek states at a time when this metal was still scarce they were compelled by law to adhere to it centuries after silver and gold had elsewhere become current in laconia as in minoan crete the ruling community tended to make of itself a military caste on the basis of a socialism rigorously enforced by the state at first liberal with the citizenship the spartans in time hedged themselves strictly in refusing except on the rarest occasions to admit a stranger to their political community and ruling in a lordly spirit over their subjects the elements of social and governmental system derived from the minoans they gradually 600 adapted to their own requirements, and the discipline, described in the following pages, did not become severe till the 6th century. To maintain their social and political superiority, the Spartans constituted themselves as a perpetual army and transformed their city into a camp. Their whole life was occupied with training. This principle controlled marriage, the birth and education of children, economy and occupation, in brief every activity of life. In other countries of Greece, custom gave the father the option of rearing his child or of putting it to death immediately after birth. In Sparta this function was usurped by the elders of the tribe. If they found the infant weak or deformed, they ordered it exposed in a glen of Mount Tigetus. If, however, he reached the standard of strength and shapeliness, they directed the father to rear him. To the seventh year, children were in the care of their mothers and of nurses, who were competent women, strictly supervised by the state. The child was trained to eat coarse food without complaint, to cultivate bravery and a cheerful disposition. On reaching the age of seven he was taken from his mother and placed directly under the control of the state. In the organization of these boys in troops, under youthful captains of prudence and daring for athletic and military drill and in their education in reading and music, there was a thoroughgoing similarity to Cretan conditions already described. It was not often that the Spartan boys were permitted to bathe or anoint themselves with oil. They had no bedclothing but slept in their companies. On piles of rushes they had gathered from the banks of the Eurotas. Under the direction of their captain they cooked their own meals, the bigger boys bringing logs for the fire, the smaller gathering pot-herbs. They contributed also what they had stolen from the gardens or from the tables of the men. Theft was encouraged as an exercise in agility and cleverness. One caught in the act was punished for clumsiness by flogging and fasting. Their meals were purposely made scant, as an inducement to ingenuity in providing extras, and as means of developing tall, slender bodies. Once a year the supreme test of endurance was applied, when at the altar of Artemis Orthia, the great Minoan goddess, the boys submitted to a flogging. Some endure to death. The severe training resulted not only in strength, agility, and endurance, but also in a quiet, modest bearing, which has no parallel in modern life. The young Spartans walked the streets, their hands within the folds of their cloaks, their gaze fixed on the ground before them. You might sooner expect a stone image to find voice than one of these Spartan youths. To divert the eye of a bronze statue were less difficult. Barrack life. At the age of twenty, the youth became a man liable to service in the field. It was now permitted him to marry, but for a long time he could see his wife only by stealth in fact he never had the enjoyment of a home but passed his entire life in military drill eating and sleeping in the barracks at the age mentioned he joined a secession mess it comprised about fifteen members who filled vacancies by co-optation their ballots were breadcrumbs and so great a value did they set on unanimity that a single adverse ballot sufficed to debar a candidate. Each member contributed his monthly share of barley, wine, cheese and figs, with a little cash for luxuries. Their meat was chiefly pork and wild game. The former was an ingredient of their famous black broth. If he should live in Lacedaemon's bounds, You must comply with all the fashions there. Go to their spare fiditia for supper, and feast on their black broth, and not disdain. To wear fierce whiskers, and seek no indulgence. Further than this but keep the old customs, such as their country doth compel. Mature men At thirty the Spartan became a mature man, privileged to attend the assembly and to fill such political offices as required no advanced age qualification. Continuing their military exercises, the men passed the remainder of their time in the gymnasia and clubs or at the Sizitia, discoursing in brief laconic satire, not on money and business matters, but on the honorable and base. The austerities of life found relief in the merriment of wine-parties. Among the images of their deities was a little statue of the god of laughter. The severity was mitigated, too, in campaigns, which accordingly seemed to them a relief from the labors of peace. Girls and Women Girls underwent a similar training. They too practiced running wrestling leaping and throwing the discus and spear contending for prizes in these sports before the assembled citizens the state required such exercises as it considered health and strength in women essential to the physical perfection of the race their presence at the competition of youths with approval and raillery incited to the utmost the development of the contestants energy and skill the women had a part as well in many religious festivals the parthenia of alcman are choral songs for girls who in the ambrosial night bear a mantle to artemis as a gift while the stars contend with them in beauty and streaming tresses grace the leader like gold unalloyed. In nimbleness, strength, and loveliness of form, these athletic girls are like steeds compactly built that win the prize with ringing hoofs. Creatures of winged dreams. Thus Alkman sings. Married women. Their training continued only till marriage. The chief wedding rite, was a pretended abduction of the bride by force, a relic of the primitive custom of marriage by actual capture. While their husbands lived in the barracks, they enjoyed leisure and comparative luxury at home. Through dowries and inheritances, they gradually accumulated property, till, in the time of Aristotle, they owned nearly two-fifths of the land this accumulation of wealth in their hands under conditions as they existed in laconia tended to impoverish the men to lessen the number who had the means of performing citizen duties hence to weaken the state having greater leisure the women probably attained to a higher intellectual level than their husbands we hear much too of their patriotism they held up before husband son or father the high spartan standard of honesty and valor in all greece the women of sparta alone ruled the men yet notwithstanding the praises of other writers aristotle lays severe strictures on their character and it may well be that they deteriorated before his age so degenerate were they in the fourth century as to prove in time of invasion a greater mischief even than the enemy a self-imposed socialistic despotism we find accordingly at sparta a socialistic community under a self-imposed despotism which sacrificed the individual to the ideal good of the state, which eradicated the family with its powerful moral influence, and robbed marriage of its sanctity, compelling all the young to regard the elders as their parents, and making it a function of the older people to admonish and to chastise the younger as their children by limiting education almost exclusively to physical exercise. The system tended to stunt the intellect and the imagination. These defects, however, showed themselves but gradually with the lapse of centuries. Social classes Among the Spartans were degrees of rank. Highest in nobility were the two royal families. From whom respectively were taken the two kings. Below were other hereditary nobles, who alone were qualified for membership in the gerousia senate council. Still lower were the mass of commons, whose means enabled them to contribute to the syssitia, and who were physically able to undergo the training. All who had these qualifications were peers. Those who failed in either respect were inferiors. The latter were undoubtedly debarred from political rights, which, however, they could resume on making good the deficiency. Helots Reference has incidentally been made to the Helots, who were serfs like those of Crete. Most probably they originated in a class of Minoan serfs, increased by conquest, perhaps too in early time by debt and oppression, till finally they came to be many times their master in number. They were assigned to the lands of the citizens, who were forbidden to enfranchise them or to sell them outside the country. The idea was that they belonged to the State rather than to the individual. They lived with their families in cottages on the lots assigned to them, rendered to their masters the amount of produce fixed by law, and kept the rest for themselves. In fruitful years they could save something, which they occasionally increased by labor for others or by plunder in war with the result that many acquired considerable estates. In addition to tilling the soil, they aided in preparing their masters' meals, and performed any other menial labor, imposed by their individual lords or by the state. In war they served as light troops, or as oarsmen in the fleet, attended to the wounded and waited on their masters when required to serve in the heavy infantry as often happened in the peloponnesian war the meritorious were rewarded with freedom freedmen we hear of several kinds of degrees of freedmanship without being able to define them all the Neodamodis, new citizens performed military duty but lacked the franchise The Mothones formed a large class, many of whom seem to have been children of Spartan fathers and helot mothers. They were brought up as foster brothers of the youths. Though lacking political rights, they were personally free and shared in the Spartan training. Some became prominent in military offices and acquired the full citizenship the policy of degrading the helots notwithstanding favors thus occasionally received the condition of the helots was wretched they were kept in mind of their servitude by the clothes they wore a dog-skin cap and a mantle of sheepskin girded at the waist by a broad belt the same dress it is true was worn from primitive times by free rural laborers in other parts of Hellas, but this circumstance did nothing to mitigate the contrast in Lacedaemon between serfs and lords. Whereas the Spartans were forbidden sweetmeats and excessive drinking, and all immoral songs, they would not permit the Helots to sing the noble lays of the great national poets but compelled them on occasions to make an exhibition of intoxication and of their low melodies and dances as a warning to the spartan youth to beware of such practices the cryptia to overawe the helots and keep them in a spirit of subjection the government instituted a secret police force termed cryptia comprising the most prudent young men of sparta armed with daggers these policemen were accustomed to wrench through the country concealing themselves in the daytime and traveling by night they used to cut down any helot to whom suspicion attached to avoid incurring thus the guilt of murder says aristotle the ephors were accustomed every year on entering office to proclaim war upon the helots. The Spartan domain and the surrounding Periochi. Spartans and helots have been considered in connection, because of their interdependence as lords and serfs, as well as because of their local relations. Helots were only found in the homes and on the lands of the Spartans. Extending nearly around this domain was a strip of territory occupied by the periochi, dwellers around. They lived in towns or cities, polis, of their own, about a hundred in number. Many were originally free, but had been reduced to dependence by Sparta. It is equally clear that many were colonies formed by Sparta, in part with immigrants from other countries the object of the spartans in thus surrounding their domain with a chain of colonies is evident in the first place they wished in this way to provide a defense for their territory more important was their desire to cut off the helots from the outside world leaving the neighbors no opportunity to interfere and the helots no hope of escape in return for the favor shown them by sparta the periochi thus stood guards over the serfs the periochic towns each periochic town had its own government usually immune from spartan interference the inhabitants were personally free and as in any greek state were divided into nobles and commons their equality with other greeks is shown by the part they took as competitors in the great national games not subject to the spartan discipline they enjoyed a relatively large liberty in the employment of their time and in the choice of occupations many were farmers but as the best lands had been taken by the ruling people a great number devoted themselves to manufacturing and commerce they worked the iron mines of mount Tigetus and manufactured various iron and steel fabrics such as keys swords helmets and axes as workers in bronze they showed artistic taste we hear of their drinking cups their shoes chairs tables and chariots. Some manufactured sea purple, with which they dyed woollen garments. Commerce brought them wealth, for their wares were in high favor throughout the world. They were not without intellectual eminence, for they gave several poets to Hellas, and their wisest man, Mison, was reckoned among the seven sages. They had their religious festivals in which the Spartans enjoyed a part, as at the annual national celebration to Artemis at Caria, where the Lacedaemonian girls joined in the dance. Relation of the Periochi to Sparta. The towns themselves were individually subject to Sparta, evidently on fixed terms. Spartan citizens were not permitted to reside or possess property within a periochic town, whereas the periochi were privileged to reside in Sparta for the sake of conducting business there. They paid the ruling city contributions in the time of need, and in war performed military duty. Their heavy infantry was only less efficient than the Spartan the arsenals and warships of lacedaemon were theirs though necessarily under spartan command and they formed a considerable part of the crews. in army and navy men of this class rose by merit to high positions none however obtained access to the spartan citizenship or shared in the lacedaemonian government Or in any way influenced its policy and yet in the lacedaemonian state they were not regarded as aliens they with the spartans constituted the lacedaemonians citizens of several cities included in the state whereas the helots before emancipation were excluded from the name and civil rights the amount of spartan interference in their local affairs was variable because of its exposed position kythera was occupied by a garrison under a harmost associated with a civil magistrate other towns were ordinarily liable to occupation only when threatened by an enemy contended with their lot the periochi long remained faithful with the progress of time however as the number of spartans dwindled the burden of service fell more and more heavily upon them then first they became dissatisfied with their condition the amount of personal liberty which the periochi continued to enjoy was great those who so lived as to incur no political suspicion were secure enough in life and property yet this condition existed on sufferance only for the ephors had a right to arrest and put to death without trial any periochus whom they judged dangerous this power was moderately exercised and the bond of interest and sympathy which united the periochi to sparta remained strong the Lacedaemonian army. The primary aim of the social organization and discipline was the military superiority of Sparta. The germ of her phalanx was a Minoan inheritance fostered, one, by her rapidly grown exclusiveness, two, by the superior fertility and extent of her original territory supporting a remarkably large number of landowners of sufficient means to enable them to equip themselves for heavy infantry service. 3. By the absence of an acropolis of imposing height, to exercise a moral power of protective control over the neighborhood, compelling an unusual dependence on the strong military arm. In the time of Terteus the phalanx had not reached its complete development. As yet the warrior held no fixed position, but it greatly depended on his own courage, whether he would fight in the front rank among the champions, or farther back in the lines, or stand far off beyond the range of darts. It was meritorious in the young man to take the front rank some were heavy infantry and others light the heavy footmen wore a helmet with lofty crest a great shield covering breast body hips and legs or in its place a round embossed shield with a cuirass beneath for offense they carried swords and long lances The light troops, crouching beneath their bucklers in loose formation, hurled stones from slings and threw their polished javelins. The metal of the protecting armor was bronze, whereas their weapons of offense were probably now of iron, which the mines of Laconia abundantly furnished. In time, the citizen body of light troops was eliminated. And the heavy armed were organized in five more from the five local tribes into which the Spartans came to be divided. A sixth mora as a guard for the kings seems to have been formed from all five tribes. As the number of Spartans declined, the vacant places in the mora were filled with periochi, whereas the helots usually served as light troops or as mere laborers. The military age extended from the twentieth to the sixtieth year. The Kings The Commanders of the Army, and in the earliest known constitution the chief magistrates were the two kings, from the royal families of the Agiads and Euripontids respectively. Whatever may have been the origin of the double kingship, the institution was looked upon as a safeguard against tyranny. The perpetual discord between the kings weakened their office, permitting the growth of more popular institutions. The kings were priests of Zeus and certain other gods and judges in cases concerning family law and public highways as commanders of the army they originally had a right to declare war against whatsoever enemy they pleased but this and other powers were gradually taken from them in war and peace they received fixed portions of the sacrificial victims and in general enjoyed many privileges and honors their persons were sacred and after death they received worship as heroes on the decease of a king women went about the streets beating on copper kettles while mounted messengers spread the news throughout laconia and messenia representatives of every household of every social class under penalty of the law gathered to mourn the dead like asiatics on similar occasions the assembled thousands men and women intermingled beat their foreheads with a right good will and make lamentation without stint saying this one who died last of their kings was the best of all here doubtless survived the shred of their pomp and ceremony practiced by their ancestry on the minoan side centuries earlier at the beehive tombs the council gerusia the gerusia council of old men was composed of twenty-eight elders and the two kings the former were chosen from a few noble gentes they were required to have reached the age of sixty and to have gained distinction for sobriety virtue and wisdom the mode of election was peculiar candidates for the vacant place walked through the assembly one by one in an order previously determined by lot receiving as they passed the acclamation of the people. The members of the returning board, supposed to be ignorant of the order in which the candidates presented themselves, were secreted in a room nearby, where they could hear without seeing. By the loudness and extent of the acclamation, they determined which was the more popular, and therefore the successful candidate. The idea seems to have been that the will of the people expressed itself, not by a majority of votes, but by the intensity of feeling on the part of the assembly as a whole. This method, which Aristotle describes as childish, readily admitted connivance between the council and the returning board, for thwarting the popular will the functions of the gerousia were like those of the homeric council but far more definite it considered measures to be presented to the assembly and assisted the chief magistrates in the management of public affairs it exercised jurisdiction in cases affecting the life or civil status of the citizens and in all important criminal cases in which citizens were involved the presidency of the body originally belonging to the kings was in time transferred to the ephors, the popular assembly, appella. The appella, popular assembly, comprised the fully privileged citizens thirty years of age and upward, who served in the heavy infantry. Under the presidency of the kings, afterward of the ephors, It elected magistrates, decided questions concerning the succession of kings, and accepted or rejected the measures which the magistrates and council rarely brought before it. As at Rome, the members of the assembly had no right to initiate measures or to join in the debate. They were strictly limited to listening and voting. Everywhere in Hellas, however, the supreme political authority rested ultimately with the dominant military class. And at Sparta, accordingly, it was vested in the assembly of heavy infantry. This body, it was, which wrested the supreme power from the kings. The assembly did not exercise its authority directly, however, but devolved it upon a board of five ephors, elected annually from the qualified citizens. Only in questions of war, peace, and other matters of unusual importance did it reserve the right of decision. The government was a broad military aristocracy, tempered by a strong magistracy. The ephors The ephors, overseers, evidently existed from very early time, but only with the lapse of centuries did they come to supersede the kings as the heads of the state. On entering office they issued this edict. Shave your moustaches and obey the laws, that they may not be grievous to you. The first part of the order enforced the custom, which we find pictured on their monuments. The second commanded subjection to discipline these magistrates supervised the training of youths and watched over the conduct of the citizens through their entire lives they acquired the right to preside over the gerusia and the Appella, to try nearly all the civil cases and to prosecute criminals before the council of elders over helots they exercised absolute power, and in cases of political emergency, they could put a periochus to death untried. Their authority extended over the kings. At the close of every nine-year period of a king's reign, they watched the sky for no man, which, if found, deposed him. Oftener, by threats of prosecution, for misconduct, they drove him into exile. As heads of the state, they conducted negotiations with other governments. These powers, and many others of slightly less importance, they had gradually acquired before the opening of the 4th century. 3. Argos, Lacedaemon, and the Peloponnesian League Argos in the day of their glory the kings of mycenae and argos governed a broad mainland realm and claimed hegemony over many islands with the decline of minoan civilization and the immigration of northwestern greeks their power declined and in the territory once subject to them many cities old and new maintained their independence Such was the condition of Argolis when Phaedon, king, or some say tyrant, ascended the throne. His reign cannot be certainly dated, and his achievements display a semi-mythical color. On the whole, it seems to accord best with a few known facts, to place him near the middle of the 7th century, prior to the Second Messenian War. It was his achievement to concentrate all Argolis under his authority, to extend his sway northward over Corinth and Aegina and southward over Kenuria, the narrow strip of land between Mount Parnon and the sea, continuing in the island of Kithera. Probably it was he who led the Argives to an overwhelming victory over the Lacedaemonians at Hysieh. Then he invaded Elis, expelled its magistrates from the presidency of the Olympic Games, and assumed that office himself. This act is characterized by Herodotus as extreme insolence. By spreading abroad over Peloponnese, the system of measures already in vogue in Aegina, he left a permanent impress of his name on that part of Greece. His imposing personality shed a sunset glow upon the departing glory of his city. While bidding fair to become the Arbiter of Hellas, he was dislodged from his hold on Olympia by a coalition of Lacedaemonians and aliens, and his death finally put an end to the hopes he had raised. His successor on the throne was a weakling. Who he enjoyed scarcely more than the name of sovereign. Argos was consequently in no position to set bounds to the expanding power of Lacedaemon. Arcadia. The ambition of the Spartans first directed itself northward. There was the tableland of Arcadia surmounted by high mountain ranges, which divided the country into a number of basins in each basin dwelt a canton comprising several villages these mountaineers were simple folk liberty-loving unpolished and warlike only on the eastern border did cities grow up under the cultural influence of argos here were three city-states Tegea or and mantinea no political bond united the arcadians but an ethnic sympathy found nurture at their common shrine of Zeus at Lycosura, where they joined in festive worship. Without definite knowledge, the student of history yet gains the impression that they possessed means of common action in war. In their conflict with Laconia, they seem to have followed the lead of Tegea, their most powerful state lacedaemon wins the headship of arcadia six hundred to five fifty the lacedaemonians after their conquest of messenia could not long remain at peace with the world their numbers were still doubtless increasing and they coveted more lands and helots their social political organization framed exclusively for war could find nurture in nothing but conquest their kings accordingly sent to consult the oracle of Delphi on the prospect of conquering all Arcadia. The prophetess answered, The land of Arcadia thou askest, thou askest too much. I refuse it. Many there are in Arcadian land, stout men, eating acorns. They will prevent thee from this but I am not grudging toward thee. Tegea beaten with sounding feet I will give thee to dunce and a fair plain I will give thee to measure with line and divide it. Trusting to this deceitful oracle, they concentrated their strength against Tegea. But they were beaten, and the captives taken were compelled to work the fields of Tegea wearing the fetters they had brought with them for shackling conquered Arcadians. Several times while gaining success elsewhere, they tried in vain to conquer Tegea. Finally they won a victory over that state, but not such as to promise a conquest. Originally they had planned to helotize the Tegeans, but now they were content to form a permanent alliance with them about 550 following this example the arcadian cantons one by one entered into league with lacedaemon lacedaemon wins the hegemony of Peloponnese 550 to 500 meantime the struggle between lacedaemon and argos continued till before the middle of the sixth century Sparta had wrested from her ancient rival Kinuria and Cythera from the reign of Phidon The aliens were friendly to Lacedaemon, through whose support they had conquered a broad and fertile domain. hence they were ready for close alliance with Sparta. Corinth and Sicyon, freed from tyrannies, entered the league then some states of Argolis as Trezen and Epidaurus, and afterward Megara and Aegina. Before the close of the 6th century, all the states of Peloponnese, excepting Argolis and the greater part of Achaea, were leagued with Lacedaemon. Organization of the Peloponnesian League There was no general federal constitution but a separate treaty united each state with Lacedaemon. The members pledged themselves to furnish military forces for the wars waged by the League to serve under the command of the Lacedaemonian kings. No tributes were levied, but occasional contributions were required. A congress of deputies met at Sparta or Corinth to deliberate on federal interests particularly on questions of war peace and alliance the allies were free to manage their own affairs and the burdens of war were light their representation in the common diet made them content with their position for they felt they were free and had a fair share in the deliberations the statement of herodotus that the greater part of peloponnese was subjected to lacedaemon is therefore wholly misleading as the union rested on a treaty basis it was federal though not to a degree afterward attained elsewhere herself under the rule of a few and therefore hostile to both tyrannies and democracies lacedaemon upheld oligarchy among her allies To this end, she sometimes interfered in the home politics of her allies, and occasionally she felt compelled to check excessive ambition or self-aggrandizement in the individual states in order to maintain her own hegemony. To keep themselves qualified for a position fraught with as much burden as honor, the Spartans increased the severity of their discipline eschewed the refinements they had formerly allowed themselves and subjected the individual more rigorously to the state. For these purposes increased power was given the ephors, who in the 6th century began to supersede the kings as the heads of the state. However crude and imperfect, the political system was admirable for the age especially it created a strong well centralized military force at a time when the danger of oriental conquest began to threaten greece chapter six